Matt was saying that the the it I I mentioned that we're experiencing the tale of two cities in Charlotte, and he was telling me the story of uh, the building where his office is located was forty five dollars square foot, and four blocks away, and it was an older nineties product. Uh, it wasn't the shiny new toy. Four blocks away was the shiny new toy where they completely redone the building, and it was one hundred twenty five a foot. Wow. That's so a with a geographic yeah. spread of four blocks, that's insane. And that's what we're seeing. And uh, uh, Uptown Charlotte is basically a ghost town. And a quarter of a mile down the road is South Park. The South End is hopping and is uh, commanding premium pricing. So it's, uh, it's very interesting to see how stark the contrast is um, between new product and older product. And I mean, not old product, just older. A lot of so. transition taking place. Interest rates are on the rise in the commercial sector, obviously starting to feel it. Um, we're visiting with Russell Hughes. This should be an interesting show. Welcome to The Sale Ring, a podcast dedicated to real estate brokers, agents, and America's top auctioneers that keep the markets moving. Join your hosts, Sean and Trina, as they talk with most successful realtors, marketing and technology experts, investors, and influencers. Welcome to The Sale Ring. All right, Russell, we're uh, we're glad to have you back in the studio. It's yeah. been been a little while, but uh, always a tremendous amount of insight uh, from your commercial expertise, and we appreciate you joining us. Yeah, and it's great to be back. I always love uh, having these conversations and kind of trying to get our collective crystal ball together and see what uh, what might happen in the in the next uh, couple quarters or the next year. That's what we're looking for. We we need uh, we need you to be the the oracle. The oracle. Yeah. <laughs> we we want to take the blue pill. <laughs> the blue pill. Lead lead us. Hey, I just watched the movie the the other night again with um oh crap Bradley Bradley Cooper. You know the one where he takes the pill and he has that oh limitless yeah. limitless yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah that's a crazy movie. It's a cool movie. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Have you seen that, Russell? I, I I've seen parts of it. And uh, it looks it looks crazy. There, there. I, I, I haven't seen it all the way through, and I don't know if he ever gets to the epiphany where where knowing too much is is knowing too much. He does. Yeah, he absolutely does. Okay, good, <laughs> good. Yeah, and then figures out how to capitalize on. Yeah, it even exactly, harder. exactly. And then what, he, and then he what's does he do anyway? Yeah, and, and and I I here's the part that scared me more than anything in the entire movie is is what's it all kind of climax and or culminate in? He runs for office. He gets into yeah. politics he's because he's now he's, he's now the oracle. Yep. You know he. Yep. He knows. Oh Lord, help us! He knows enough to be dangerous, so now he needs to get in a position to be dangerous. Yeah. Have, have either one of you ever seen the movie Idiocracy? Oh yeah, yeah. It's been a little while, but yeah, I think I saw it when it, it was brand new. That now. was um, that was um, uh, uh, Owen Mike Wilson, Judge. Luke Luke Wilson, yeah. wasn't yeah. he in that? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And I, every time I look at the news, I think to myself, idiocracy was not intended to be a uh, how-to. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be a documentary. It wasn't a playbook. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's but, uh, yeah, there, there does seem to be some weird competition, especially amongst politicians, uh, who can come up with dumber stuff. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> that's not special. anything new, though, is it? I mean, that's been going no, on. No, I, I guess that's been going on for as long as politics has existed. Yeah, but it's uh, it's just it's kind of like you know when when uh, mothers, uh, particularly new mothers, um, look at they they start freaking out about uh, kidnapping and uh, trying to explain to them that the 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 crime statistics themselves have not really changed at all in the last 40 yeah. years, mm -hmm. but you know about every single one of them. Yeah. And so it feels like it's changed dramatically. Yeah. It feels like it's right at your doorstep because yeah. you see it all over the place all the time now, instead of just on the Saturday evening news, one thing happened one time, you know? Exactly. And yeah. I think it's the same with politicians. We yeah. hear 
all the dumb things that come out of their mouths. Yeah. I don't think it's any more. I don't think it was any more intelligent than yesteryear. Yeah. We just didn't know about it. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. I like it. So how's things in North Carolina? North Carolina um, is good. I mean, we have been such a recipient of the mass migration uh, coming out of COVID and so many people have moved here. And luckily, uh, the majority of them seem to understand that they have an alternative of being locust or being productive and, and understanding the mistakes that maybe they have made in the past with their decision making regarding politicians. <laughs> and perhaps that they could rectify those decisions or at least not replicate them in the future. Um, and, and luckily we have, uh, we have not, uh, had any major seismic lurches in it in either direction. Um, and North Carolina continues to be a, um, a reddish purpley state, um, that is very productive and, and just huge deals going on, huge amount of, uh, of influx of people and production and, uh, all sorts of goodness going on. So what's driving that? And, and is that along the Eastern seaboard or is it specific to North Carolina? What's, what's driving that, that influence of, of people coming in? You know, I think people were really, they COVID sort of brought out the worst, um, in certain politicians and, and leaders and especially like in the tri-state area, like the New Jersey, Connecticut, New York area. New York is tolerable. Um, living your life in in a couple hundred square feet that you're spending $5,000 a month for is tolerable, apparently, because it wouldn't be tolerable <laughs> to me under any circumstances. <laughs> but apparently to some people, um, it's tolerable if you have everything that New York City has to offer. Yeah. And I can sort of theoretically understand that. I again I I've never been one of the uh one to live in an ant high or an anthill or or beehive, but but you can sort of theoretically understand it. But when you take away Broadway, you take away the museums, you take away the restaurants, you take away everything that made that decision tolerable, um, suddenly you're all you're left with is living in 200 square feet and mm -hmm. spending $5,000 a month for it. Yeah. And so you begin the process of looking for alternatives. Um, that happened very early on with Florida because Florida opened up um, probably sooner than anyone else. And Florida has always been sort of a logical um, it's, it, there's a well-trod path to Florida from the tri-state area. Mm -hmm. Um, North Carolina was always, we had what were called halfbackers. So people went down to Florida, uh, made a decision that they had made a horrible mistake. Yes. <laughs> but didn't want to make an even compound their horrible mistake. By, by going back home. to New York. Yeah. <laughs> right. So they did. So they went halfway. Called, yeah. They okay. went halfway. So they went to North Carolina and they were called halfbackers. Um, and so subsequently, a lot of the people from New York who are moving here now already have um, family here. Um, but also, you know, it's always been a logical midway point. Uh, we kind of have good weather, mm -hmm. uh, but you can still have winter if you're into that kind of a thing. Uh, we've got the mountains and the and the ocean. Um, and we got, you know, Charlotte's a relatively uh, big city. Um, and it's it's amazing. It's doubled since we moved here in 2010, uh, which is pretty incredible. Um, and you've got Raleigh, you've got the life sciences. So it's it's always been a logical choice. And then from business perspective, we are very business friendly. We have a really amazing economic development, uh, both in the state and the individual counties. Um, we've been very interested in getting businesses here. We have a highly educated workforce. 
Um, if you want to be up in the rally area, we've got Wake Forest, Duke, NC State, and UNC Chapel mm-hmm. Hill in very close proximity. Um, so you can pretty much do whatever you want. You can have whoever you want. But we also have rural areas where you can have manufacturing going on. And so it's just been kind of the perfect storm of climate, um, economic development, opportunities, and really not wanting to stay where they were. So um, I heard, I actually posted something on LinkedIn a couple of months ago where in and out Burger is moving out of California. To, they're moving to Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And That's interesting. Yeah, when in and out has decided to abandon California for Nashville, Tennessee. That, um, should, that should send a message. It should logically send a message. But unfortunately, California seems to have the the most, uh, what is the old expression, tin ear. Uh-huh. They're yeah. just incapable <laughs> of, of looking in the mirror and seeing anything other than the shiny place that they were uh, back in the day. Um, and no matter how many people they have to step over on the way to their office and out, no matter how much feces is on the ground and, and drug needles, they just can't see themselves as anything other than this glorious place where everyone should want to be. Um, and just like New York, you, you, people will only tolerate being, um, in an ant colony for so long in California, you can only tolerate paying those kinds of taxes for so long. And Chicago is the same way. Yeah. Citadel capital moved out of Chicago and, and I love Chicago. Um, but it's just, it's just tragic what's happened, you know? Yeah. There's tons of company leaving Chicago right now too. They're all going to Texas. It seems like though, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. It's very interesting to see, um, but the one universal that seems to be true is that the office market is that the COVID, the work from home, all that stuff has la- has lasted much longer and has m- had much greater legs due to the Great Recession than anyone could have ever anticipated, me included. I have been saying since COVID started that office would be that we would revert back to office, and I still believe that that is true but it seems to be taking quite a bit longer than I anticipated. I will, I'm the first to acknowledge that I was mistaken in my timeline. Let me ask you this question then in, in the interim with, if there's that much vacant office space and that influx of people that are coming into either metropolitan areas or suburban areas, um, what about the conversion of a lot of that office space over to living quarters over to, um, I, I don't know. You call them, it, yeah. Yeah, multifamily. It, multifamily or, <clears throat> yeah. I, I so, mean, maybe that is, maybe, because in everything that we're talking about right now, um, migration and, and, you know, just social and economics of um, uh, those areas and, and the adaptation of um, this is our lifestyle here, but now we've moved to Texas uh, from California to Texas, be a different lifestyle. I mean, in all of that, there's got to be opportunity built into that too, if we look for it, right? There, there definitely is. And the interesting thing is, you know, obviously there is a massive amount of displacement when you're taking California dollars and spending them in North Carolina. Yeah. Um, you can, you're, you're driving the market conditions. You're, you're really skewing the market conditions. Um, there is a very legitimate need, regardless of your politics for affordable housing, for workplace housing. The problem becomes is the vacancy is predominantly in the uptown Charlotte, Charlotte. I don't know why. I mean, Charlotte's downtown is literally uptown. It is literally physically higher. And in 20 years yeah. ago, yeah, the, the Chamber of Commerce decided oh. to start calling it Uptown. So if you're wondering why yeah. on earth I'm calling it Uptown Charlotte, that's its name. No one understands fully why, but that's what we call it. Um, there are two very large office towers that are in receivership right now. Um, so they, the, the owner has defaulted on their CMBS loans. The problem is... 
office space was never intended to be multifamily. It was never built to be multifamily. And there are only certain floor plates. And for, for anyone listening who's not well-versed in commercial real estate, a floor plate is pretty much exactly what it sounds. But it's the physical um, layout of a floor of a building. And multifamily buildings um, have a certain depth uh, that are kind of built, baked into the equation from the window line. And office buildings don't. They're just not built that way. So the conversion, so that eliminates certain buildings. So only about two in 10 buildings are likely candidates for a conversion due to the fact that the depth from window line um, is not easily converted. The other thing that multifamily does is they assume that every, every space within a building is going to have water lines mm-hmm. and office. Um, they have what are called wet walls and wet walls. You know, all the buildings are stacked on top of each other throughout the entire building. So to get water to a space to all the spaces on a floor is a very different experience. So what you wind up with is a situation where converting an existing office building to multifamily is going to cost as much as building a brand new building, even with elevated construction costs. So it sounds like a great idea. I know that a lot of the city um, managers and planners are totally on board with it because we need extra units and we could somehow make those requirements of affordability. But the infrastructure of where do you then go buy groceries? Mm-hmm. And, and get a food desert and no transportation. Yep. To in, yeah. Correct. Yep. You're dealing with people that are not, that are, that are kind of bound to public transportation. They're not designed to house people in these locations. Um, so it, it's, that's a very roundabout way of saying it's not as simple as it seems but it's something that has to be explored and will be explored because there's no alternative. Yeah. Otherwise you're just going to wind up with vacant buildings dotted all over the landscape. Yeah. It's, it, it's going to be interesting long-term if, um, if housing, you know, depending upon cost and, and restriction, if that's not the right answer, then what is the right answer? Uh, because you have, you know, millions and millions of dollars worth of, of high tower building sitting there in front of you, and it's uh, it's vacant. Yeah. You know what? What do you do with that? It's closer to billions, and it's bordering on trillions. Um. So yeah, it's a it's a big problem. Um. <clears throat> with all that would, glass that's in it. Um, oh yeah. You know, I I read an article from. I think it was I think it was out of the United Kingdom where they had taken a glassed in building and they started vertical horticulture in it. <laughs> and they were utilizing yeah, yeah, yeah. the glass. They basically made a made giant a greenhouse, greenhouse. Yeah, yeah. out mm-hmm. of it and started uh, vert, vertical horticulture. Huh. Interesting. Well, that's the interesting thing about solar panels. The solar arrays um, on on scale are built outside of um, outside of metropolitan areas due to the need for for a lot of flat space right but then you wind up with a transmission cable problem um so if you put solar panels on the roof of a of a building and utilize the energy in that building your transmission problem gets solved and subsequently you don't have to have as big of an array um so yeah i mean that might be a creative solution um, certain of these buildings should be converted into affordable housing. And then we need to solve the transportation problem and the food problem. Um, the good news is the San Francisco's of the world and even the, even uptown Charlotte, there are people that live up there already. So there is a little bit of infrastructure. Uh, we just need to expand that infrastructure out a little bit. Uh, Los Angeles is the same way. There are a lot of people who live in downtown Los Angeles. 
Kansas City well, recently we were, has been doing that as well. They've been converting a bunch of old cold storage buildings and things like that mm-hmm. in the lofts. And then subsequently having to build, you know, a new price shop or a grocery store down, you know, downtown somewhere to, to support that. But yeah, I, I think it's going on everywhere. Are you seeing these developments that maybe have, you know, multiple floors above it um, that are apartments or lofts up above? And then on the main floor, or the main two floors, there's shopping, or, you know, a grocery store, or shopping center in the building. I mean, that's one alternative. There is something called the Overland Mall in Charlotte and all the downtown buildings are connected to one another and the it's it's literally a mall mm-hmm. so you got shops you got uh, restaurants you got different things uh, you got a CVS um, and it's all contained within you don't have to leave the outside because August in the south is not anything anyone wants to deal with so we solve for it um, and if we can do that, then what you just described should be theoretically doable as well. I mean, the, the reality is we need creative solutions for the problems that exist. And the problem is, is that so much money is being made on the status quo that there is such an incredible incentive instruction, uh, structure in place not to disrupt that status quo that you can come up with creative solutions all day long, but if, if the city planners won't let you do it because they've got a certain way that they want things to get done and the developers have a certain way they want it, things to get done. And this uh, uh, NGO over here has their status quo that they're protecting. The reality is there's no money in solutions. Yeah. You can't fundraise off solutions. Once something is solved for, the money train goes screeching to a halt. And these different organizations are making so much money raising money off of the problem that they don't really want a solution. Well, that's a, that's a problem in itself. Then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll have to create another NGO, a not-for-profit, that fights the other not-for-profits to solve problems. <laughs> and then that probably becomes a problem as well. And then until you, yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, snowball effect. And then it's like, oh my effect. God, we yeah. solved all the problems. We, we solved all the problems of the other people not solving <clears throat> the problems. Now what do we do? Yeah. I mean, you almost need to start an organization that is designed from its inception to only last 20 years. And then you, you, get the incentive to self-perpetuate out of the system. But something's going to have to change. Something's going to have to be done. What that looks like, I I think all cards are on the table. But um, as long as we keep bailing large organizations out, there's never going to be really a financial, a really heavy-duty financial incentive for them to solve the problem. Yeah. Yeah, when that money goes away or if they have to call bankruptcy, the government is just going to step in and say, no, no, we got right. you. So they just keep going as is, and, yeah, they don't need to be yeah, sufficient I mean, or self-sufficient because someone else will pick up the pieces. Yeah. Silicon Valley Bank um, should have gone bankrupt. Yeah. It was not systemically important. Yeah. But it was systemically important to the people that give all the money to the politicians. Yeah. So it became systemically important. But until we allow things to fail, see what really is interesting, because if we allow these these buildings to go bankrupt and go into receivership and actually fail, their cost basis will come down low enough that someone can afford to repurpose them. But as long as they're trading at a, at a, at a rate, which is shocking considering that they're vacant and bankrupt, no one can afford to spend the money to then repurpose them into a more applicable use for the times. That's a great point. That's a great point. They're they're currently even if the the want to and and the desire to repurpose those buildings, they're they're just it, it's disproportionate on what the 
the costs would be, mm-hmm. not just an acquisition, but the holding costs would be on it to make that, you know, a, a reasonable investment. So it'll be interesting. I, I, um, <clears throat> I'm not sure what the solution is. I think that there's amazing, there are people doing incredible things. I mean, the vertical horticulture, I mean, it's yeah. kind of incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the idea, you know, and, and the, the volume, the efficiency is pretty epic. I mean, we've got a legitimate food problem globally right now. Um, but, you know, it, it, is it going to get the same ROI for the investors who are in the building? And if it did, would that still make sense to, as a farming operation? So... Russell, let's let's hear from our sponsors. We'll be back in a few minutes, and we'll uh, we'll talk more about that in the commercial buildings. Um, let's hear from our sponsors. Ever dream of owning a country estate, historic home, or lakefront property? Log on to unitedcountry.com. Would you like to retire to a home built on breathtaking acreage in the mountains? Unitedcountry.com. Ever dream of your own private hunting preserve? unitedcountry.com over 30,000 farm recreational and lifestyle properties are just a click away helping people find their american dream for over 90 years we will help you find yours log on now to unitedcountry.com and find your freedom thinking about selling a real estate investment but worried about the taxes you'll have to pay Property owners just like you have solved their tax issue with a Starker Services 1031 exchange. One call could save you a fortune in taxes. Call Starker Services today at 800-332-1031 or visit online at www.starker.com and keep the tax dollars working for you. Are you looking for heavy equipment but unsure where to start? Then you need to check out AuctionTime.com. Buying great equipment has never been easier than bidding online at AuctionTime.com. What are you waiting for? Online auctions are closing every Wednesday. So register and start bidding today. AuctionTime.com, the way to buy heavy equipment. Crude oil, natural gas, coal. Buying and selling minerals is a breeze when you have the right energy professionals on your team. Mineralmarketing.com is a leading resource for America's mineral owners. Whether you're wanting to lease or sell your mineral rights, Mineral Marketing has you covered. Mineralmarketing.com, the oil and gas marketplace. All right, we're back with Russell Hughes, Hughes Realty Advisors out of North Carolina and uh, pretty much nationally. You travel quite a bit, Russell. I uh, I wander around uh, by Zoom these days, but uh, yeah, I uh, I got you covered all over the country. A Zoomlander. <laughs> a Zoomlander. I'm going to coin that. I just you should. I, just up with I that. like it. I do too. I like it. And that's that is one good thing that did come out of the the pandemic, right? Zoom. I am uh I'm six five two fifty. I don't fit on airplanes real well. Yeah. So yeah. I am very, very happy to do business by Zoom. Listen, I am five four and I don't fit on airplanes either. So you're there not you alone. Go. They're not made for anybody. That's because they put <laughs> you in the overhead. They- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. You know, I have a visual in my head. Here's something I learned about Zoom early on. Depending on how the person sets the meeting up for Zoom, mm-hmm. um, it can either automatically just start your video or you yeah. get to select yeah, yeah. whether you want video or not. Yep. Yeah. So sometimes it just comes up and, and it says, do you want video or no video? And then other times when it pops up, it says, how do you want to connect your audio? And the video is already on. Oh, yeah. I don't know that I've ever really encountered that. Maybe well, maybe I just have people that don't know to <laughs> select video and they set up the meeting or whatever. I, I will just tell you that um, when you're getting ready, you know, in, in the bathroom in the morning or whatever, it's, <laughs> it's not the best it's time the to best be taking time to be a Zoom, Zoom call. As you, uh-huh. yeah, you're sitting there trying to throw a towel over your phone. 
That's, I uh, suspected that there was a reason you knew about this. Right. Yeah, right. unfortunately. There's uh, <laughs> luckily it never got reduced to writing, so we're good. Oh, awesome. We're good. Yeah, it, I was not aware, um, and and it was harmless. It was pretty innocent, but I was not aware until it happened. I was like, "Well, the video's already on. Well, I never touched it, and uh, mm. it turns out you don't have to." Interesting. Yeah, sometimes they can just say, you know, <laughs> allow video or turn video on. I'm going to look at the settings every time I still I set up a meeting from now on, and I'm going to make it so that it's automatic. Just automatic <laughs> video. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Nice. Uh-huh. Don't don't be surprised if I'm not on there. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps declining. I'll be my setting invite. it up through your account, so you'll be on there. <laughs> nice. What's going on, Russell, uh, in in the industrial sector? So let's yeah. talk about industrial a little bit. Yeah. So industrial is less depressing, which is awesome because I always come on and talk about depressing stuff, and I I want something happy for a change. Um. So. The interesting thing is Amazon.com, um, the, the kind of the, the, the bubble popped of um, the COVID online lifestyle choice. Yeah. And Amazon basically pulled the plug on about 70 million square feet of space that they were planning on going into. The interesting thing was everybody was freaking out. And, um, and I looked at the numbers and I'm like, hang on a second. The vacancy rate was in the single digits. It was 4%. Now it's only 7%. 10% is considered uh, to be kind of um, dealer's choice on whether the landlord or the tenant are in control. Um, so 7% is still a very tight market. Okay. And what was interesting is there's a guy named Casey Conway. He's on, I follow him on LinkedIn. It's Red Shoe Economics is the name of his company. And he has a theory that we need about um, 500 million or 50 million, 50 million, 50 million makes more sense. 50 million square feet of uh, industrial space built per year for the next 10 years uh, just to keep up with demand, just keep up with onshoring with the just in time going away and, and turning into just in case and manufacturing um, coming to, you know, growing in the United States because we're, we're, we got a slap across the face as it relates to our supply chain and, and people are waking up to the reality. So that is a ton. It's got to be 500 million. 50 million is not nearly enough. It's got to be 500 million. 500 million per year for the next 10 years. Um, and then 87% of that will be built in what he calls the golden triangle. So that's Chicago, Illinois, down to Louisiana, across to Mobile, Alabama, and then it picks up Port of Jacksonville in Florida. Uh, 87% of it will be built within that golden triangle, um, which is crazy because all the easy places have been built up already. Yeah. So we're out of the secondary and tertiary market conditions. Um, so that, that's, that's nuts, but what, that's also great. What principal uses or types of property are we talking about? I mean, is this warehouse space or warehouse space? Cold storage is the asset class du jour because you've got all these online, um, fulfillment centers and not enough cold storage for them. Yeah. So everyone's trying to build cold storage. Uh, self-storage was, uh, was hot before the re- theoretical recession. It's even hotter now. Um, outdoor storage is huge and, um, and then just straight warehouse, yeah. just distribution centers. So, um, so that's coming along and, and we'll continue for the foreseeable future. And that doesn't really even that even accounts for an economic downturn because Casey is as far from an optimist as it relates to the economy, but he still thinks that that activity, economic activity, and growth and onshoring necessitate that much square footage being built. 
Uh, so it's fantastic. The only problem is where the hell to build it. Yeah. And that's where we're coming across, you know, quote unquote, suboptimal locations, you which know, is a, go ahead. Back during the collapse in, in, you know, 2008, end of seven, going into eight, we, <clears throat> by 2009, we started working on uh, the disposition side of projects in different parts of the U.S. from an auction standpoint. As you know, I, I, I run the auction division here mm-hmm. at, at United Country, and we ended up in Las Vegas mm-hmm. uh, to the point that my, my guy that I worked with and I were getting, uh, Trina remembers that. <laughs> it was terrible. Getting an auctioneer's <laughs> license in the city of Las Vegas. As I told uh, a very, very kind woman that worked for the city department, I, I found one that actually seemed somewhat happy about her job yeah. in there. And uh, I said, it, it gives the appearance you you don't want any more auctioneers in Las Vegas. And she said, oh, you caught on to that, huh? So <laughs> nice. they were asking for, oh, my God, military records, yes, birth certificates. Um, you know, they wanted everything that yeah. they could find. And it was, she created packets for us to get this. Anyways, where I'm going with that is at that time, there was millions and millions of square foot of warehouse space that have been built right outside of Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wonder now I have not, you know, checked on that or been back out in that area. Um, and, you know, since then to really focus on it, but I wonder did, did that kind of property ever get filled up? You know, oh, is yeah. it being utilized now oh, and, yeah. and they're building more because they uh, have, because at, at the time it was just miles of warehouses that were built brand new and setting their vacant. It's not only occupied, they've, they've, they're on phase four of those projects. <clears throat> when, when I left Los Angeles in 2010, the Inland Empire, which is exactly what it sounds like, it is the Inland Harbor uh, where everything from the Port of Los Angeles and the Port of Long Beach, the biggest ports in, this, in the country, they all go towards San Bernardino to a place called the Inland Empire. The Inland Empire at the time had a 40% vacancy rate. I kicked myself in the ass so hard, (laughs) excuse my language, because I could have bought the Inland Empire for pennies on the dollar. The last time I checked the Inland Empire's vacancy rate was below 1%. And everyone fleeing California from a distribution perspective is all going to Arizona and Las Vegas. So I guarantee you that those those properties are full and they have built their brothers and sisters um, and cousins and aunts and uncles. <laughs> They've got the whole um, extended family there. Oh, huh? yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even even that weird cousin. Yeah, they, they built it. Um, it just seems and, you know, what what is going on that we need that much storage for that much stuff in that short <laughs> of time? What were people well, doing? Prior to that, in mm-hmm. in 1995, you know, and into 2000, where, where was all this stuff then? I mean, has our population boomed that much? Uh, it since- hasn't, and it's actually going down. Mm-hmm. But you've got to remember something. We spent the last, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the green monster, the pollen is, is still going crazy here same, in Charlotte. Same. Yeah, it's, it's um, the same out here, too. Oh yeah, it's just it, Surtec is uh, is the the official sponsor of the city of Charlotte. Um, yeah, Zertec, um, the official sponsor of the Sail Ring yeah, podcast. Exactly, Flonase. <laughs> Seriously, um, Flonase, Zertec. Please send us some medicine and Zertec. Um, the we spent 30, 40 years doing a couple different things. We offshored our entire manufacturing base. We offshored our entire supply chain. We optimized our supply chain to, to do just in time. Uh-huh. Um, and when COVID hit, that whole thing, that whole house of cards came crashing down. Yep. And we had no precursor materials. We had no ability to get the precursor materials for manufacturing. We had just in time was irreparably broken. And so we have, and, and so we had a, a warehousing system that was predicated on turnover every 24 hours. Yep. It was designed and built for turnover every 24 hours. Well, it collapsed 
it was not, it was efficient, but it was not robust. And it was so efficient that it was even less robust than they had anticipated. So now we've gone the opposite direction and we'll probably overshoot the mark. Oh yeah. And we will go towards too robust and not efficient. Well, the problem with too robust is it 10 X the need for space overnight. Yep. Cause you can't now all of a sudden you have to have stock on hand and you have to have a lot of stock on hand. So whereas you would get the ships would deliver to the inland empire, the inland empire would within 24 hours deliver to the stores, the stores would sell out whatever they had and the process would start over again. All of a sudden the ships are delivering to the inland empire. The inland empire has to have seven to 10 days of product on hand at all times. Yeah. Where are you going to put it? So you combine that with, with manufacturing being onshored, combine that with, I mean, think about this. There are not one, not two, but three trillion dollar semiconductor projects being built in this country simultaneously. Whereas the last 20 years, there has not been a single semiconductor uh, production facility built in the United States anywhere. And we now have three of them. Is that, so, is that a response to the shortage, the inavailability to get those um, when, yeah. when they were needed? So we need to become more self-supportive in that? Is yeah, that, were, that was a response to parking lots full of trucks yeah. and, and vehicles that were sitting unsold because of lack of one chip. Yep. That's so Kansas city. Uh, we have a huge, uh, Ford manufacturing plant here and they still have fields and fields and fields of trucks just sitting waiting and they can't go anywhere until they get those chips still, but they're still there. So, yeah, Yeah, I mean, uh, the auto dealers started selling vehicles with buyers signing paperwork that they understood that the navigation system, the heating system, and the cooling system, everything except the basic functionality of the vehicle would not work yeah. for the foreseeable future until they could get those chips and they would notify them and, and get them into the dealership for installation. Yeah, it's crazy. That's interesting. So, Russell, um, is it so the, yeah. the overbuilding right now of warehouse space? Um, what is the, so I'm, I'm asking the Oracle right now. So fast forward, Uh-oh. you know, now that we, now that we said, well, here's our response. We're just going to build a lot more warehouses. Yeah. Are we, are, is there going to be some disruption in the future where we, we realize that we've way overbuilt warehouse space? Yes. So one thing I would, and I'd love to get your take on this. Uh, by the way, I, I know that you may have a hard stop coming up here. So tell me if you if you get tight on time, and we'll wrap up. But yeah, I got about I got about ten more minutes. All right. Well, unlike the the forty or sixty tower buildings, you know the story buildings, the the big ones. These are what's the normal warehouse that you see out here for industrial warehouse spaces? Usually, what two or two and a half, three stories tall. It has changed dramatically over the years. Amazon is building hundred <clears throat> foot. 100 foot distribution centers that have multi floors within them, which is pretty much unheard of. Yeah. Okay. Um, to have multi floor, um, they and they they have computerized systems on the second floor, so it's not like human power. It's just a uh, it's just a bunch of uh, autonomous vehicles running around. Um, I assume that they party when no one's looking, but there's no <laughs> visual evidence. Got a toy of story going on in there. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. I saw that. I, I was in a, uh, I was in a manufacturing plant for Kloss equipment um, mm-hmm. over in, um, I think it was Harschwinkel, Germany. I can't remember exactly the town, but I think that's what we were outside of. And, and they had autonomous vehicles uh, and robots that were running out there and gathering up parts and putting them on, uh, forklifts and the forklifts run inside of a line inside of that plant they said just stay out don't get in between the yellow (laughs) lines and a forklift will just come hauling butt by i mean those things were moving and uh 
Yeah, it was a, that was an amazing thing to watch. It was a semi-automated plant. Yeah, it, it's pretty neat. I mean, unfortunately, that's going to eventually put people out of work. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you, so you've got that's probably the extreme. So 100 foot is the extreme. Well, here's what I'm going with that question. And the reason I asked it the way I did, because and we kind of come in full circle with you, how do you repurpose them? How, yeah. When you get yeah. ready to repurpose them, just from the outside looking in, and, and this is where I would value your expertise, what you said earlier about wet walls, you know, and and yep. and uh, the floor plates. And so these, uh, from the outside looking in, it, it looks like a warehouse would be much easier to uh, convert into housing. Yeah, yeah. Than would, a tall office water building. water everywhere. Would. Yeah it would be way easier. I mean, they are utilizing them as we speak for large growing operations. I was about to say, that'd be kind of perfect. You've already got water. Mm -hmm. The whole place is plumbed. Um, They're autonomous. The, the growing operations in, I think Brooklyn, I can't remember the name of the company, but it is so cool. I mean, it's like a, it's, it's a clean room. Yeah. Uh, You have to walk through a airlock to get in. Um, because their system is so precise and so controlled. Um, and the product that comes out the other end uh, is, is pretty darn impressive. And it's utilized on site, so it's fresher. Um, so that would be a logical reuse for the overbuilt warehouses. Um, housing is a logical reuse. Um, warehouses are a heck of a lot easier to reuse. Because at the end of the day, you're looking at a giant box. Yeah. So from an and investment what goes standpoint, in the giant box is is up to you, dealer's choice. Yes, sir. And, and so from an investment standpoint, it it helps mitigate a lot of risk on the back end in case this needs to be repurposed. I still have, you know, I I can still convert this into something that's functional. Yeah. The only um, <clears throat> real risk. Uh, from a, a repurposed perspective is warehouses are often out in the hinterlands. Yeah, yeah. So that is the only real risk. But I would agree with the basic premise that there is less risk of repurposing a warehouse at some future later date than a purpose-built um, 60-story uh, skyscraper in a city. That was built out for office. Listen, if I owned a bunch of those and they're on the outside of town and, and we need to repurpose them, um, I think we start building living quarters, nice, you know, affordable or mm-hmm. what, whatever housing inside. I throw a high fence up around it uh, and and just it, now it's a secure neighborhood. Based, yep. The direction that we're going right now, I mean, what most families want, they want they want some level of security, right? So I agree. You just um, and, and you could even get creative, maybe, and call it I don't know, Branch Davidian or something. <laughs> <laughs> but but at the end of the day, I I, I just um, I think you'd have to figure out a way aesthetically to make them a little more maybe yeah. attractive because it look, yeah. they would look yeah. like college dormitories, you know, if you're not too careful. But yeah, and I mean. Like we talked about in the inner city, there's not a lot of grocery stores out in the hinterlands, so you'd have to bring all that stuff in out there as well. So, yeah, to make it attractive. But I mean, you could theoretically, I mean, you've got all these boxes around, you could um, paint the outside with murals and (laughs) fence them in and um, build, you know, just section off a portion of the box for a grocery store, um, which has its own warehouse literally across the street. Yeah. Um, it is definitely possible. There is a, um, there's a book, uh, built, uh, written in the 1980s called snow crash a guy named Neil Stevenson and Neil Stevenson assumed that there was something he is credited with calling being the first to really popularize the term metaverse mm-hmm. because he theorized a world in which we're interacting online and his um, the uh, the lead character's name is Hero Protagonist, which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> he lives in a storage unit. Yeah. Interesting. So, What's the name of it again? Uh, it's called Snow Crash. Snow Crash. Snow Crash. Okay. All right. We'll. Uh, I mean, look that up. 
That sounds interesting. It's a it's a very interesting book. It uh, assumes that there's all sorts of um, ways of paying for things, not unlike cryptocurrency. It assumes that the federal government is fairly um, pretty much a, a um, figurehead at this point and has very little utility, which is, depending on who you talk to, an accurate assessment of where we are. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's it is <clears throat> there's something called burb claves which is not unlike what you just described with a tall fence um the uh the mafia runs the pizza joint um it's 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 fascinating and and the number of things that he got correct uh the uss enterprise is the um is basically a, a migrant um floating um immigrant uh basically people all over the world live and yeah it's 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 crazy some things he got spot on and some things are a little fanciful but it is it's definitely an interesting read yeah well this is this has been another um great and and insightful podcast with you uh russell any final thoughts because i know you've got to jump here pretty quick and I've got to, I've got to run, but, uh, I just always appreciate the opportunity to come talk with y'all. Um, it'll be, uh, it's going to be an interesting couple of years. Um, I, I guess the only parting words I would have is this too shall pass. And, um, and 2030 is going to be lit. And go so, buy some warehouses. Yeah. Yeah. While you can. Or some land. <laughs> Invest in yeah, land. land. Yeah. Yeah. Right out there on the fringe. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Russell Hughes, uh, Hughes Realty Advisors, and that is HughesRA.com. Is that correct, Russell? That is correct. Hughes Realty Advisors, HughesRA.com, if you want to look Russell up. Russell, we appreciate you being on the show, as always. Um, just a, a wealth of knowledge and, and insight, and we uh, look forward to having you back. Yeah, thank you. I look forward to being here. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next time inside the sale ring. Thank you for joining us for today's show. To access all resources and links mentioned in today's show, head over to www.thesalering.com now. We appreciate your feedback and encourage you to share the show with other industry pros like yourself. Join us next time as we meet you inside the sale ring.